Am I on? Coming through now? Okay. I guess I'm coming through now. <laughs> awesome. How are we doing? Good. That's good. All right. I just want everyone first to close their eyes. And I just want everyone just to calm your minds. Forget about all the stresses. I want you to drop down into your heart. And I just want you to go back to a time that God did something for you or God healed you or you had an encounter with God. Just go to that time right now. I just want you to meditate in that for a little bit. Cool. You can open your eyes. I want everyone to stay in that place. Everyone say, welcome Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, have your way. Holy Spirit, I give you permission to change me, to show me revelation, and bring me closer to God. Awesome. Cool. Well, today my message is the fear of the Lord, part two. Yeah. So when I first started looking into the fear of the Lord, if you remember the first message I did, I talked about what it's, what it's not. And if you remember, it's not the demonic spirit of fear. It's not natural fear. And it's not the fear of man. In fact, there's many ways to describe the fear of the Lord. But we, we've got to remember not to get hung up on that word fear because it's not, it's not what it means, what we think it means. So hopefully by the end of the message you can go to get a bit more of an understanding. You know, Matt preached on hope last week. That was an awesome message. The world needs hope because the world's finding out very quickly they can't have hope in their government. They can't have hope in man. So now it's getting to the point where, they, where are they going to find hope? It's, it's on us. The Bible says we are co-laborers with God, meaning we need God and God needs us. When we reach our hand out to someone, God's hand's there with it. But sometimes we forget that. Sometimes we forget that how close God wants to be to us because we get caught up in the world. We get caught up with life. We get caught up in the busyness of it all. I do it. We all do it. I'll get back to that later on. So I want to start with, you know, there are many examples of men and women in the Bible that were remarkably close to God. They worshipped God with great reverence and they had great faith in God. They did many signs and wonders and miracles. They knew the secrets of God. For example, Abraham and Moses, the Bible says they were the friend of God. Imagine being called a friend of God. You had Elijah and Enoch. They were taken up to heaven. They didn't die. God just took them straight up. Then you had David who worshipped God and wrote Psalms. Then you have got Paul and Peter and many more who did signs and wonders and miracles. But you see, you know, they all had something in common. There was a common denominator with all of them. They had a foundation they walked in. It was the fear of the Lord. They understood it and they walked in it. It is what kept them in good stead. It is what, it's what kept them from uh, being attacked. It is also what delivered them. It also what helped them hear God's voice crystal clear. It also kept them on the path that God had laid out for them. 
They, you, those guys never deviated from the path. And even if they did just a little bit, when God gave correction, they were instantly back on it. Have you noticed when God gave a command, those guys never questioned it, they just did it. For example, when God woke Abraham at night and said, I want you to go and kill your son, can you imagine that? Did Abraham hesitate for one second? The Bible says in the morning he started packing his donkey to go and do it. He didn't hesitate. God didn't tell him, I'm going to kill your son because it's going to seal the covenant for the rest of us. He didn't know why God was wanting to do it. Abraham was a friend of God. He feared God. He just got up and did it. How many of us do that? How many of us get a command or something from God? How How many of us are saying, God's dealing us with something, but we don't do it because we keep saying God's dealing with it? See, they all had a revelation of walking in the fear of the Lord, and it's what set them apart. They stayed close to God. So it, it, I came to a conclusion, and it would appear to me there are two types of Christian Christians in the world, those who fear God and those who don't. Well, let me explain it this way. In the, there's an example in the Bible where, Abraham, where two angels came down to visit Abraham, and they took Abraham, and they were looking over Sodom and Gomorrah, and God says to Abraham, I'm thinking about blowing these two cities up. What do you think? Isn't that amazing? God's asking him what he thinks because he's a friend of God. Abraham freaks out because he goes, oh no, my nephew Lot is in there. So he, says to, he tries to bargain with God. He says, Lord, if there's 50 righteous men in that city, will you not blow it up? God says, yep, good idea. I won't do it. Abraham goes, okay, Lord, what about 40 righteous men? God says, yes. He got him down to 10, 10 righteous men. And God agreed he would not blow up Son of Gomorrah if he could find 10 righteous men. Abraham knew there wasn't 10. There was only one, Lot. You know, all those people in that city, had no, they were 24 hours away from being blown up and they had no idea. You know what the scary thing is? Lot, who the Bible refers to as a righteous man, and our terms a saved man, a man going to heaven, had no idea. He was as clueless as them. Completely clueless. In fact, it wasn't, if it wasn't for Abraham who prayed for his nephew and the two angels of mercy came and got him out. No idea. See, so you have one righteous man here, Abraham, who knows what God's going to do before he does it. In fact, also helps him decide how he's going to do it. Then you have one righteous man over here who is clueless as the world. Why? Because Abraham's close to God, therefore he fears the Lord of God. This man over here has no fear of the Lord. That's the difference. How many of us are in Abraham's category? Honestly, put your hand up now. Do you see my hand going up? It's not, is it? Someone might say, yeah, I'm preaching real hard. And I was actually thinking, oh, I can't do it this time. I've got to go soft. But the Lord's been dealing with me about it. In fact, he showed me something this morning where he says, you're not walking in the fear of the Lord. And I, I had to stop and think, what am I doing? Are you with me? I'm not going to run off. <laughs> you know, in fact, it's actually what God actually looks for us in us. He actually wants to see the fear of the Lord. He looks for it. And remember last time I mentioned it's also his treasure. 
Isaiah 33.6, the fear of the Lord is his treasure because that's where his secrets are. If you want to know the secrets of God, walk in the fear of the Lord. If you walk in the fear of the Lord, you're close to God. You know his secrets. You become a friend of God. Not every Christian is a friend of God, eh? So, like I said, God wants to look for it in us. There's an example of that in Exodus. So this is when Moses delivered Israel out of Egypt, right? And before he took them to the promised land, he goes, you know what, I want, I want you to meet God. I want, you to meet, I want you guys to meet the promiser. So he took them to the desert, to Mount Sinai. And I'll, and I'll read from Exodus 18.20, and this is the reaction. Now all the people witnessed thundering, lightning flashes, the sound of the trumpet, and the mountain smoking. And when the people saw it, they trembled and stood afar off. Then they said to Moses, You speak with us, and we will hear. But let not God speak with us, lest we die. And Moses said to the people, Do not fear God, for God has come to test you, and that his fear may be before you, so that you may not sin. So you might start thinking, Moses is saying, Don't fear God, but God wants to see if the fear of God is in you. It's almost sounding like he's contradicting himself, but he's not. He's showing them the two differences. He's showing them the difference of fearing and running away from God and living and being close to God. He's showing them a difference. And you just look at the, you look at the difference. Israel never got close to God. They only knew God as a God who answered their prayers. How many Christians only know God that far? You know, instead of knowing the person who's answering your prayer, we just know God as he answers my prayers, that's it. And if he doesn't answer my prayer, that's it. I'm done, I'm out of here, I'll go somewhere else. Come on, let's be honest here. I'm not having a go at anyone. I'm talking to myself too. We need to wake up a little bit. And I'm only talking like this because it's out of love. I want to see us fulfill our calling in God, eh? We're all here to work together to edify the body. I mean, you look at the world out there, it's dying. We're the answer. You know, God, God can't move without us. Almighty God, creator of all, is wanting us to move. He needs us to move. We can't wait for God to do an outpouring. It's going to be through us. So if you want to define the fear of the Lord, here's a way of defining it. It's to be absolutely, completely terrified, terrified of being away from him. James chapter 4 verse 8 says, Draw near God and he will draw to you. Draw near God, and he will draw near to you. Who draws first? We do. We initiate it. It's something we do to activate the relationship with God. It's not God. Therefore, it's you and me that determine the level of relationship that we have with God. We determine how close we get to God. Some might think, well, I'm not worthy to be close to God. And stop right there, because that's a complete lie. I know I've experienced that myself. It's the biggest lie that everyone tells you. It's the biggest lie the devil tells you. You're not worthy. How can you be close to a holy God? Furthermore, furthermore, if we weren't worthy, God wouldn't have sacrificed his son. The son that he loved more than anything in the world. If we weren't worthy, why did he do it? We've got to understand it's his righteousness that gives us the right standing with him. It's not our righteousness. 
It's not my works. It's not my good works. It's not anything I've done. All I did was accept that Jesus died on the cross for me and his righteousness got placed on me. Done deal. I'm right before God. Awesome. We really, people need to understand that. Get that in your spirit. doesn't matter how you feel. The fact of the matter, if legally God sees you as Jesus because his righteousness is resting on us. Done deal. I thought you'd be a bit more excited about that. You know, the scripture says, John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. You know, there's the parable of the lost son that Jesus spoke about in the Gospels, and I have mentioned it before, but I like this parable because it gives a really great picture of the Father's heart. Uh, I'll, I'll just paraphrase a little bit of it and read some of it, but, you know, it's the father who has two sons. The youngest son asks his father for his inheritance. He gets his inheritance. He goes out in the world and he lives a wild life, does whatever he does, what he wants with it. He runs out of money. He needs to find work to get money. He starts to realise how harsh the world is, how there's no hope there, there's no peace, how everyone's just in it for themselves. And he comes to a realisation. I like to think of it as he comes to repentance. He starts to realise, I've done the wrong move. I've gone on the wrong path. So it says from verse 16, Luke 15, verse 16, and this is, this is the son, and he would gladly have filled his stomach with the pods that the swine ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have bread enough to spare, and I perish with hunger? I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. There's that word, I'm not worthy again. So he went back to his father, feeling unworthy. Now it says that the father saw the son from afar off. What did the father do? He ran to him. What was the son doing? Drawing near to God. He started drawing near to him. What did he do? He ran to him. First thing that God does is put the robe on him, the robe of righteousness. Here's my righteousness, you are my son. First thing he dealt with was that worthiness. That's the picture of God's heart. We can turn back to God any time and he is going to react like that. That's God's reaction. What an awesome God we serve. How can we fear a Lord like that? We can't. You see, God is more passionate about being close to us than me and you are to him. Everyone say amen. Good. If we go back to James chapter 4, verse 5 says, Or do you think that the scripture says in vain, the spirit who dwells in us yearns jealously? That word yearns means to long for intensely, consistently. God yearns for us intensely and consistently. We as humans get moody. You know, you might love somebody, but sometimes you get in a mood and say, just leave me alone. Especially wives, you know, if you do something wrong, man, they just... <laughs> Probably going to get in trouble for that. <laughs> you know, men always seem to be in the dog box. <laughs> Matt knows what I'm talking about. Yeah, but you know what I mean. Humans aren't consistent. You know, one day we're all lovey-dovey, next day we're a bit annoyed, you know. God isn't like that. He's consistently yearning, consistently, intensely for us. That doesn't change with God. You know how I know? Because the Bible says God doesn't lie. 
So if God says he yearns for us intensely, he means it. To add to that, do you know that God thinks about you all the time, you personally, all the time? Psalms 139 says, How precious to me are your thoughts, God. How vast is the sum of them. Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of the sand. Now think about every beach, golf course, desert, anything that's got sand on it. Think about it. Think how much sand is in the world. Now you know if you took a cubic foot of it, which is only that big, roughly, scientists worked out that there's 1.8 billion granules of sand in a cubic foot of sand. That means God yearns and thinks about us that much of that kind of intensity more than, more than that cubic foot. It's more than all the sand in the world. That's just hard to comprehend, eh? So if God thinks about us and yearns for us with that kind of intensity, the question we've got to ask ourselves, why aren't we more have more intimacy with him? Why aren't we more close to him if that's how God thinks about us? Look, I'm not having to dig it like I said before anyone, but some might think I already spend time with God. I don't need to hear this. But you do need to hear it just as much as the person next to you. Because why would you limit yourself to growth? Why would you limit yourself to going up to another level? How will you ever grow? You can't just stay in that same spot. If you're staying in that same spot, it means you're comfortable. If you're comfortable, you've backslidden. Come on. See, there's got to be a foundation of the fear of the Lord in our lives. If this foundation is not in our lives, it doesn't matter how much we want to be close to God or how much God wants to be close to us, it'll never happen. Because we're not stable. Fear of the Lord is our stabilizer. That's what everything hangs on. That goes, everything else falls. If you have the fear of the Lord, sin's not a problem in your life. And if you do slip up, instantly repent. It's not even a question. You know, it's basic. You know you serve who you fear. Like the young rich ruler, when he ran up to Jesus and said, Lord, Lord, what must I do to be saved? And Jesus turns to him and says, you need to sell all your positions and let go of your money. Now, that's not how we get saved. We know we get born again, but Jesus knew his heart. He knew who he served. The young rich ruler couldn't give up his money. So he couldn't follow Jesus. He served money. Which brings me to kind of a testimony. Last week, you know, there was prayer for insomnia up here. Now, I had actually been suffering from insomnia for a few, well, quite a while, a few months. Not going to sleep till 4, 4.30 in the morning and then getting up for work at 6. So I was running on an hour to two hours sleep a day. You can't, you can't run like that. It's, it's very, you lose concentration and everything. Anyway, I went up for prayer, and while Pastor Peter was praying for me, the Holy Spirit showed me something. It showed me a time where I had the peace that surpassed all understanding. It reminded me of what God had done for me. That's why I got you guys to do what you did before. I'd forgotten what God had done for me because I got hung up in the world. I got too busy. I'd forgotten God. I'd forgotten I wasn't walking in the fear of the Lord. So the Holy Spirit showed me that and I meditated and I instantly felt peace in my spirit. The entire week I've been able to go to sleep. I no longer have the racing thoughts, so praise God. I don't have the racing thoughts in my mind because God's peace surpasses all the understanding. 
I don't need to understand it because it surpasses it. I don't know, I don't know how God does it, he does it. His peace surpasses all my worries at work. His peace surpasses worries of, over here and there. I just focus on what he did for me. Psalms 89.7 says, God is greatly to be feared in the assembly of the saints and to be had in reverence of all of them that are about him. The second part of that verse is God is to be held in reverence. You'll never find God in an atmosphere where he's not held in utmost respect. Now, I'm not talking about people who don't come to church, like don't know God. We can't expect them to have reverence when they come in, hey? So you can't judge people like that. But I do expect Christians to have reverence because you know God or you've met God at one point. So then why do we come to church late? Is that reverence? If I go to somebody's house, knock on the door, they open the door, they roll their eyes at me, am I going to go back to that house? If I'm sitting at a table across from someone trying to have a conversation, but they're not really interested, how long am I going to keep talking to that person? Just food for thought. You know, um, I want to read a scripture from Leviticus chapter 10. Hopefully I can pronounce these names right. So it says, Then Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, each took his censer and put fire in it, put incense on it, and offered profane fire before the Lord, which he had not commanded them. So the fire went out from the Lord and devoured them, and they died before the Lord. And Moses said to Aaron, This is what the Lord spoke, saying, By those who come near me, I must be regarded as holy, and before all the people I must be glorified. See, back then, there were only six people in the world that could come to God's presence. They were the only six people authorized to come in the presence of the Lord. That was Moses, Aaron, and his four sons. It's different now, of course. We all can come before God through the blood of Jesus. We can all become through his presence. But at that time, it was only six people. So it says that Nadab and Abihu offered profane fire to the Lord. Do you know what that word profane means? To treat something sacred with abuse, ill reverence, contempt, desecrate, or is common. Common, that word common. When you get too comfortable, oh, it's only church. It's only God's word. It's common to me now. It's profane. You might say, well, that's Old Testament stuff. Well, that decree was a decree from Moses. When he says, by those who come near me, I must be regarded as holy, and before all the people I must be glorified, that's a decree all through time. That didn't end in the New Testament. In fact, it carried on with Ananias and Sapphira. We know that story. They lied to the Holy Spirit. They, were, they offered a profane sacrifice, and they died. They came in that atmosphere. So reverence is another description for the fear of the Lord. I'm not saying as this church we don't offer it, but we could get better at it. Imagine if we were all showing reverence together. I tell you, the presence of God would be unbelievable. We say the, I'm saying these things so we can grow, not to, I'm not having a go to anyone. Eh? Just, you know, don't, don't get into that mindset. I'm talking to myself too. And we, know, and we know the result of Annas and Sophia because the result was, it said in chapter 5, the church walked in the fear of the Lord and the comfort of the Holy Spirit. 
and many were added to the church. Signs and wonders followed. So it's interesting, like I said, there are many, it seems to be, the more I look into the fear of the Lord, the bigger it seems to get. Before I looked in it, I had no idea what the fear of the Lord meant. I just thought, oh, I must be, I have to be scared of God or something, but that's the opposite. I'm starting to see how big and how extremely important, and now I know why God has been, I can't get it out of my spirit. It's something that God's obviously saying we need to get hold of. We've missed it somewhere. If we want to move up to the next level, if we want to really do things we want to do, fulfill the dreams God's placed in our hearts, this is the start. Walk in the fear of the Lord. You know, Jesus actually referenced the fear of the Lord as worship your God. I found this quite interesting. You see, when the devil tested Jesus in the wilderness, the devil said to Jesus, all these things, all the kingdoms of the world and their glory, I will give if you will fall down and worship me. Jesus, quoting from the book of Deuter- Jesus was quoting from the book of Deuteronomy, replied, Away with you, Satan, for it is written, For you shall worship the Lord your God, and him only you shall serve. Matthew, 9, Matthew 4, verse 9 to 10. Now, it's interesting, if you do a quick check on what Jesus quoted in the book of Deuteronomy, it actually says, You shall fear the Lord your God. Deuteronomy 6.13. So Jesus defined the fear of the Lord as worship your God. In other words, the only fear that we should have in our life is to worship God. Worship him, worship him with all your fears will fade away in the light of his glory and grace. I'm going to share a little testimony. I'll give the band come up. Like I said, I, the Holy Spirit showed me that time where I had the peace of pastoral understanding and it came from an, a, an event and a period of time in my life when I was suffering from the spirit of fear quite badly. And I got delivered from it. But I stuck with it. I stuck with the scriptures. I stood on the scriptures, you know, that God did not give me a spirit of fear, but of power of wisdom and, and a sound mind. And, you know, when you get delivered of something, you know the spirit does come back to check, hey, can I come back to this person? Because it did. It came back, and I saw it. It came back next to my bed. It woke me up. It tried to jump on me. And the first thing that came out of my spirit was that scripture. I didn't even care that thing was there. It didn't freak me out one single bit. And you know what I ended up doing? I just, it was like my spirit just took over and I was just worshipping God. And I felt like this huge presence over me. This thing couldn't even touch me. It tried to, it couldn't. It tried to freak me out with all noises and everything and it just left. I didn't even care it was there. Woke up the next morning and I'd never experienced peace like that in my entire life. So... I want to end with this scripture, Philippines, uh, Hebrews 12.28. Therefore we we receive a kingdom which cannot be shaken. Let us show gratitude by which we may offer to God an acceptable service with reverence and awe. The reason I got the worship team up is I just want to take a couple of minutes. You don't have to. If you don't want to, it's a choice. But I just want, if we can do it as united, show God reverence and awe by worshipping him in your own way. You don't have to put your hands up or sing or whatever. You do. You worship God the way you feel you need to worship God. But I just want all of us to do it together. You know, we can all stand up and come up front and do what you need to do. And while that's going on, I'll hand the service back over to Pastor Lisa. If there's prayer, just come right up the front and we'll pray for you. But I want to, before you do that, just take a few minutes to worship God. Just show him some reverence and some awe. Thanks.